Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com. Well, good morning, Glory Church. My name is Dalton. I am the youth and small groups director here. Um, And that last part is very important, as we've already talked about. This week is the start of our new small groups trimester. And so we've talked a lot lot about it already, but I want to plug small groups a little bit more. Um, And thank you for putting those on the screen. These are your leaders, your days, and your times. Um, And I am the small group director, so I'm very passionate about it. But I think small group is important because of one thing, and it's, we talk about it as small group a lot, and it's this idea that God has created you to have relationship. And so if you choose a church, and you go to that church, but you only show up on Sunday, and you come five minutes before you grab your coffee and you sit down, you can receive a lot of things, but it's hard to give out. Your God created you for relationship because he created you because he wants relationship with you. And so deep within you is a desire and a need for relationship with others. And so if you right now are sitting in this room and you're not part of a small group and you're also lacking community, this is a great place to find it. So sign up in the back if if you want to get involved, and I would love to see you do that. But we are in the book of Ephesians today. Um, We're going to be talking about chapter 3. But whenever I get into a book and I look at what I'm going to speak about, I love to know the context. And uh, wouldn't you know, it's Paul writing to the church of Ephesus, and can anybody guess where he's at while he's writing? This is a very reoccurring theme in Paul's life. Yes. Paul is in prison once again, and I joked with Lexi this week, I feel like he's getting put in prison on purpose just because like he doesn't have enough time to like write to the people that he wants to talk to because people just keep coming up to him in his ministry. And so he's like, tomorrow I need a break. I need to be able to write. So I'm just going to do something a little bit more risky so that I get put in prison and I have some time. That's what I think Paul is doing. But this series has been really good and I've really enjoyed hearing some different voices on it. Um, Ephesians 1 and 2, we answered two W questions that popped out to me. Um, we answered the who. And so the who in the, in the book of Ephesians is Paul, obviously God, and he's writing to the church of Ephesus who are Gentiles. We talked about how Gentiles are not Jewish by birth, and so they're being adopted into the family. And we talked about the why that, that God wants relationship with people, like I just mentioned. But today, I want to talk about a new W word, and this is going to be right up a lot of your alleys, alleys, and it's the word what. So my question for us today that are going to put on the screen, I want you to write this down if you're taking notes, is what do you want from me? God, what do you want from me? How many of you in here are feeling like a practical person normally? And so you're like, God, I, I understand the who, I understand the why, but what do you want What do you want from me? How do I live out what you've called me to do? We're going to find out today what your calling is. Are you excited? Are you you excited? Cool. Okay, we're in Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 13. It's a lot of verses. I'm going to read them, so I want you to strap in. And Paul is writing and says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly, 
When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. That's beautiful. Members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And we all go, that's a lot of verses. That, that's a lot of content. But I, I want to narrow in on one thing, and I want you to remember that I view, and a lot of people that I was reading about, they view Ephesians 3 as kind of a link, okay? So we've answered the who and the why. In the future, they're going to list the practical of, of it, but right now, there's a link, but there's some good stuff in this link. And part one, if you're taking notes, the part one of this message is finding your calling. Finding your calling. You see, there was a time in the Apostle Paul's life where the question, what do you want from me, signified a turning point from following the law to following Jesus. And so I want to talk about how Paul found his calling. But first, we have to realize who Paul was, okay? So Paul is a Jewish man, but also with Roman citizenship. That's a hard word for me to say as I was practicing, I realized. So he's Jewish, but he's also Roman. And we also learned that Paul is a three on the Enneagram, or at least that's what I say. How many of you guys know the Enneagram? How many of you think that Paul might be a three? Anybody? Okay. So basically, for those of you that know, don't know what that is, it's a personality test. And a three on the Enneagram, when things are put in front of them, like a task, and they're passionate about it, they want to be the best at it. They want to do it well. And so Paul is good, for his, good with his hands, but he's also good at doing what other Jewish men do, what he sees as esteemed, and it's being a Pharisee. And so Paul, Paul submits himself under this pharisaical ruling because he wants to prove that he is good enough. He wants to live up to the highest calling, and he sees that being a Pharisee is like the, ex the extent of it. And so he pushes and pushes to be the best Pharisee that he can, and it leads to one thing, and it's persecuting the people that he should be caring for. That's where Paul ends up because, because he's been uh, so uh, wrapped up in how do I prove that I'm good enough and not listening to the heart of God. And so I want to take a look at Paul's transformation point because I love when things change. I love to see God move and change people. So we've talked about who Paul has made himself to be. Let's see what forces Paul to change, how he finds his calling. Acts 22, 6 through 10 is going to be up there. And we're going to read through it, not as many verses, thankfully. It says, As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, this is Paul speaking again, Who are you, Lord? 
I want to stop there for a second. I feel like Paul, when he's asking, who are you, Lord, already has a good idea. Because if God was going to present himself to him, it's like Paul should know this God. He's a Pharisee. He should understand the law. But there's something in his heart that causes him to look at God and say, God, I'm wondering who are you? Because for a long time in Paul's life, he's been wondering if the people that he's been persecuting are actually the people he should be standing with. He says, who are you, Lord? And we continue on, it says, and he said to me, and this is the part that breaks Paul. It's the part that makes him feel all of the shame and all of the guilt. Immediately, God answers and said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. I want us to look at this question that is in verse 10. Paul now asks, what shall I do, Lord? Because Paul has been solidified now in the who and the why. He's learned all about what these Christians, these believers of Jesus have been about. He understands what they're for. And now that he realizes the God that he's supposed to serve is Jesus, he knows he simply has to submit himself under that. And so he says, what shall I do, Lord? And so let's look at how Paul found his calling, and we can allow it to apply to how we find our calling. Okay? So what we already read, Ephesians 3, verse 1 Paul writes, this is, again, him writing to the church of Ephesus and describing himself. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Paul calls himself a prisoner of Christ. How many of you like, like to be a prisoner? No. Paul was willing to do it. And so, Paul, if he understood that if he was going to find his calling, he had to do a couple things. So I want you to write these down. Number one, if you are going to find your calling, number one, when you're presented with truth, chain yourself to it. When you are presented with truth, chain yourself to it. Paul ha has learned what the truth is, and Paul is a man who was willing to chain himself to what God had given him. Because he realized for a long time, Paul had been chaining himself to whatever he wanted, whatever he thought was going to make him the best, and now he's choosing Jesus. What does it mean for me to chain myself to you? This is something that we struggle with. But in other areas, we don't. Because I thought of, how many of you have been skydiving? One. Two, a few, but, but you know what skydiving is, right? So, so if I go skydiving, oh, three, if I go skydiving, then here's the truth, I need that backpack, right? If I'm going to go skydiving, I understand that the truth is, if I jump out of that plane without that backpack, I ain't going to make it, right? That's the truth. And so I have no problem, and anybody in here who's been skydiving had no problem, questions, or qualms about putting on that backpack and chaining themselves to truth. So we can't say that some, like, some truths that we like to cling to and others that we don't. But the problem is, I think, and I was describing to this to Lexi, the skydiving, I know as soon as I jump out, it's over. But whenever I live my Christian life, I feel like I can skirt on the edge of what God's telling me to do because I have time. And I'm not realizing that every step I'm taking is towards death. It's the same as jumping out of the plane. I must chain myself to truth. 
I thought of another example. Ladies in here, if you've ever been in a relationship, have you ever asked your man, do you love me? Yes. <laughs> do you love me? Lexi still asks me this. You know how long we've been together? Eight years. But she's asking if I'm going to choose to love her and if it's worth chaining herself to. She wants to know if she can count on that love that I'm presenting to her. Love's a choice. And so if I'm choosing to love her, she can chain herself to it. Can I say that some of you don't have a ton of direction in your lives because you are afraid of the calling that God will attach to the truth you chain yourself to. You say, if I, if I, if I chain myself to all of this truth, what calling are you gonna, uh, gonna attach to it? Is it gonna fulfill my hopes? Is it gonna fulfill my dreams? Is it gonna fulfill what I had wanted for a long time? Is it worth it for me to attach myself to it? Paul was willing when he was shown truth to chain himself to it. Say, I'm not going left, I'm not going right. I've seen what the end of me following my own way does. And so because he knew that, he said, Jesus, I'm yours here and forever. I'm chaining myself to it. This is the truth Paul was presented with, Ephesians 3, 6. This mystery, this is what we already read, and now we're just kind of getting some clarification on what he was saying. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You see, Paul is met with the truth that there's a lot of people out there that weren't raised in Jewish culture, don't know Jewish heritage, they don't know nothing about the law, but they need Jesus. And so I will chain myself to that truth to bring them to that truth. Does that make sense? But there's one other thing that Paul shows us a good example of how he found his calling, and it's this. Not only did Paul chain himself to the truth, but he was honest about his position. Number two, write down. If you want to find your calling this morning, if you're sitting here and you're wondering, God, what do you want me to do? Number two, be honest about your position in relation to that truth. Be honest about your position in relation to that truth. Ephesians 3, 8 says, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul all the time when he's writing, like remind, he'll like, sometimes when he's writing, I'll read it as like prideful because he'd be like, God gave me this, God gave me this word, God gave me this word. But then he'll throw in a, but I'm the least, but I'm nothing. I'm just excited about what God is calling me to do. Paul is very self-aware. He's aware of who he is and that allows him to meet all kinds of people. Are you self-aware this morning? Have you ever met somebody who's not self-aware? And what I mean by that is when, whenever they say or do something, uh, they don't really understand what it does to people, you know? You ever met that? And I have some very good friends that are really strong believers that are like that sometimes too. Um, but but Paul, Paul did this. He was very self-aware. He realized that if he wanted to bring all of the people in the church of Ephesus to know God, he needed to be aware of who he was. This is where we get into our specific calling. Because you're like, Dalton, I've learned a lot like, of the general of what my calling is. What's the specific one? You know, like, like I talked to a lot of people this, even just this past week who were trying to make decisions and they're like, Dalton, this or this. A lot of times my answer is both of those sound good. That sounds awesome. So choose one and bring God into it. But as Paul submitted himself to the general calling of uniting people with Jesus, you can write that down too, your general calling will always be uniting people with Jesus. God calls you to do something, it's all about either uniting yourself or uniting others to Jesus. And it's beautiful. 
But Paul, as he submits himself to that, he sees what God has worked on in the past. This is where I bring it back to the Roman citizenship, okay? That's very important. He has prepared Paul for this and made him of Roman heritage because if you were Roman in that time, you could get into a lot of places you couldn't if you were Jewish. You could do a lot of things and the consequence wouldn't be as bad if you were Roman. And so I can only imagine how happy Paul was with God when he realized that he had been prepared to do his specific calling. But can I tell you that this morning, God isn't going to show you a specific way until you submit yourself to the general way. If you haven't been submitting yourself to bringing people to Jesus, to helping them know who he is, he's not going to give you a specific calling. You're like, God, why are you so quiet right now? He says, go in every part that you're in. I am in all things and through all things. Acknowledge that. And so I'm sorry that this doesn't give you the exact thing that you were looking for, but I hope it gives you hope. Because every space that you step into now, you can be aware of, I have a calling in this space. Doesn't matter where I'm at, where God's put me, I have a calling. It's uniting people with him. And so this is where we get into part two of our our message, and and it finishes up in Ephesians 3. Uh, Verse 14, it says, for this reason I bow my knees, this is still Paul speaking to the church of Ephesus, he begins to pray over them, so that's your little, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so we see Paul here. He's he's living his calling. And I wrote down, Paul took his calling and he applied to loving and caring for the church of Ephesus. And so I want to talk about now how we learn to do this, okay? But first, some verses that really stuck out to me this week that I want to read as well. And it's Matthew 7, 7 through 8. And it says this, ask, many of you know these verses, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. I want you right now in your brain to think of the people in your life that you know are seeking. If you're looking for your calling this morning, you are called to them. So to help them find not necessarily what they are seeking, but what the Lord wants to give them. You see, I had a, a bad, uh, the way I thought about these verses wasn't correct for a long time because I had this picture. Have you guys ever seen like that animated door where it's like just like in the black and like it opens and there's like another dimension on the other side? Anybody know, know that? And so I picture myself like knocking on this door and my ideal was I would come to God, I'd be like, God, man, I need this job. God, I need this thing. And I pictured in my brain that when I came and I read this verse and I knock, that the door will magically open and that on the other side, there's this like red present sitting there, all bow-tied and beautiful. 
Like that, that would have been great, you know? And I kept going and I'd knock and I would feel like it would open and I'd be like, there's no present here, God. Where's my present? You said knock and it will be opened. But here's the real picture I have that I was shown this past week that I felt like God put on my heart. God wants people to knock and then there's somebody, first of all, that's opening the door. We have to remember that. Jesus opens the door. And so I want you to imagine Jesus opening the door and he's holding something and it's that present. But the present doesn't contain what you hoped for, what you dreamed, what you prayed for. It's what you need. It's what you need. And if anybody in here has truly knocked, there's been a lot of things that you'd prayed for and didn't get, but you did get what you needed. And here's the beautiful picture I have is that, is that he is handing over the present and it's awesome. It's beautiful. It's great. And as he's handing it, I'm taking it. But as I take it, that red on that present dulls and he grows brighter. And as I take it, it's what I need. It's beautiful. It's awesome. It fills me. But my relationship with the Lord is the most important thing. And the beauty of Jesus shines as I continue to go back and knock and knock. And every time I do go back, he's brighter and brighter and brighter. And I get what I need, but my relationship grows. This is the picture that you are pushing people to that are seeking. Your friends, your family, the people around you that are seeking, there's a door for them to continuously knock on, and they will receive out of that door. And so Paul just continues to bring, he's just a sign. He's just like, Church of Ephesus, Christ, through this door, through this way, Christ is this way. That, that's what he's doing, and he does it by praying over them a couple things. So I want to talk about these couple things. Ephesians 3.16, what we just read, but one specific verse says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So first he prays for strength for them. He prays for strength. And I was like, okay, God, what do you mean by strength? I should probably look up some other verses for this, right? So they're not gonna be up there, but when you listen to what these verses have to say about strength. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, be strong and courageous, but it doesn't stop there. It says, do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Isaiah 40.31 says, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Psalm 73.26 says, my flesh and heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. And my portion forever. That's a beautiful verse. But I see a connection here, and it's this. You can write this down. If, if you want people to have strength, this is what you want for them. A person's true strength is determined by their connection to the Father. A person's true strength is determined by their connection to the Father. And like I said, the rest of Ephesians is going to kind of talk you through like, the, like all the things that you can do to help people. But the first thing that I thought of is you need to be able to recognize when people are seeking, when they need something, when they need help, when they need you to step in and have a word or pray over them or be with them or take time for them. They need, like you need to be able, need to, be able to know what to look for. And so that's what we're going to get into here for a minute. So two signs that someone has a loose connection to God. This isn't to, to, to go against them or speak badly about them, but in this, some of this will convict our hearts. But these are the things I look for in my friends, my family, the people that are seeking that I know God wants to rewrite, okay? Two signs someone has a loose connection to God. Number one, 
They are quick to speak and slow to hear. You ever find yourself doing that? Every time that I am quick to speak and I'm speaking over someone, it's because I need to prove myself. But I know that the truth is I have already been proven. I've already been made enough. I, I am who I need to be. God has made me that way. But if there are people in your life who are always doing that, there's a disconnection between them and the Lord. The way that they see the Lord sees them. And so it's your opportunity to step in and rewrite that. Say, God doesn't see you that way. He sees you this way. And so you don't need to be always the first one with a word. You don't need to do it this way. Number two, their energy levels are mismatched. And what I mean by this is that their hobbies, their dreams, the things that they've been hoping for give them all the energy. But when it comes to the things of Jesus, they suddenly get tired. You ever felt that way? And you're like, God, I need to check this. I feel like every time I go to church or every time I do this, I feel tired. But whenever I'm trying to save money or I'm, I'm doing my job at work, I'm giving my all to that. I said earlier, God is in all things and through all things. And so because he's in all things and through all things, he calls you to have energy for every part of your life because he's in it and he's working. Doesn't mean you can't be tired, but he wants you. Yeah, we're all tired all the time. That's, that's okay. But he wants you to have energy for what he desires and cares for. This goes the other way. If I put all my time into things that I think are spiritual, like, like church or my ministry job, but I don't have any time for my friends and family, I'm missing the point. That's what he calls it to. So are we looking for the people around us that are seeking, but their energy levels are mismatched? Will, will we help them find the truth? And the second thing that Paul prays for is not only strength for them, but for them to know love. Are there people around you that need to know love? Yes, that's the answer. Yes, there are. But we're going to talk about some signs that, they're, that that's not working correctly right now. Ephesians 3.19 says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is what, what Paul was praying over the church of Ephesus. And so number one, two signs that someone is struggling to know love is number one, they are quick to receive love, but rarely give it to others. Very much like the first one, but, but they don't feel loved, cherished, and known by God, and so they have to prove it. Um, and they, they don't have the energy to give it to anyone else because they don't feel loved by the Lord. But the truth is, if you sit here today, if you are simply a human, you are known and loved by God. You have the opportunity to choose him, and he gives you free will in that, but you can know, sit here securely in the fact that you are known and loved by God. Are there people around you that are seeking that need to be reminded of that? One of the things I deeply regret, 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 from friends in my past is seeing the signs of a believer who is not loving anyone around them and not speaking to it. And it is not too late for them, but it led down a road that didn't, has not ended up well. We have to be doing this. Are we looking for people around us that are struggling to know love? Number two, another sign. This is my last sign. Things that we're looking for. Number two, they answer a strong word with anger or bitterness. What I mean by this is if somebody challenges them, whether it's correct or an incorrect challenge, do they take it personally and get angry and bitter? I have an example of this that's going to make you laugh, I promise. I have a dog, so I walk dogs for money. And her name's Maisie. She's a big girl. She's like 80 pounds, like curly hair. 
And whenever I first started walking her, I met the owners, and they were like, okay, she's a little bit leash reactive, okay? Leash reactive is, is the term. And so whenever I hear that, I'm like, okay, you know, that means that she might pull towards dog that she sees or something like that. But they didn't give me, like, a ton of, like, you know, ideas around this leash reactivity. And so the first time that I'm walking Maisie, we're walking down the sidewalk, and on the other side, I see a dog for the first time, and it's coming, and she seems fine, and I'm just chilling. And the dog gets up. It's not even on our side of the road. It's on the other side. Gets kind of like even with us and just kind of steps towards her, and she goes, and she grabs, she grabs onto the leash and starts 360-ing on it. And it, like, looks like she's, like, going to kill me because she's, like, big. And she's just, like, freaking. It's the craziest reaction I've ever seen, like, a dog have to another dog. Like, like if there are people, like, within a mile radius, they're like, dude, that dude is in danger. Somebody go help him. Like, that, like that's, that's what it is. But can I tell you, as I've walked Maisie, she's gotten better. And the reason that she's gotten better about that, and if you see me on the side of the road and there's a dog freaking out, we're working on it, okay? <laughs> but she's learned to trust me. The reason that she freaks out like that is she's afraid of that other dog. But as I continue to walk her, she puts her faith in me. She knows that I am enough to protect her and care for her and so she can live her life. When you respond or people around you respond with anger or bitterness, it's because of that. Scared and not knowing that they're loved. That is the truth. And so if I see people in my life that are like this, they're seeking, help them find love, real love. This is what I'm called to. And I can't wait for the other voices that are going to speak into, like, what the to-do is, you know. But we don't have time for that today, so I'm sorry. But we're going to wrap up here. Jeremy, the band can come up. I was supposed to remember that, and I did super good. I'm so excited. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. You guys can come on up, but this is how I want us to finish because I feel like whenever we read passages in church, I'm just like, dude, I didn't catch any of like what that chapter is saying. It's been written in here all along, okay? And I wanna show you what we read initially, the very last two verses, Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. They said, and Paul had written, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The question today was, what do you want from me, God? They're answered right here. Verse 20 tells us that God is the one who can do more abundantly than I ever could. So the very simple fact that I take from this is I simply guide on that sign that pushes people to the God that does more than I ever could. I can't fix their problems. I can't do the things. I can't make everything right. You know how much I want to just fix things for people? Like I would just be opening the door and I would put a present there and they'd get it and they'd be like, Dalton, that didn't fulfill me. And I'd be like, well, I'm not God, okay? But God is the one who is able to do it. So if I push them towards that door and they continue to knock, that relationship's gonna grow. And the last part of this, verse 21, is beautiful. It sums up, and Paul sums it up perfectly. To him be glory. Everything that you do, every person that you lead to the door, every calling that you fulfill is for his glory. And it will be beautiful. Would you think this morning about people that are seeking that you want to help find? Father, I thank you for this morning. 
I thank you for this word. I thank you that even in a, a filler chapter, what seemed to me a little bit of Ephesians 3, you speak powerfully because that's what you do. You could give one word, verse, one word in your, in your Bible, and it's more than enough to fill me. God, I've seen how verses will speak to me and they'll speak differently to somebody else, but you work through it. But God, you can only work through us when we give that free will and say, God, you have all of me. I'm chaining myself to your truth. I pray that this morning the people in this room would have a willing heart that says, God, there are some truths that have been shown to me this past week, this past month, that I've been struggling to chain myself to. God, would you remind us this morning that it's worth it? That when we chain ourselves to your truth and we live out the calling that you've given us, there will be people that have abundant life because of that. There is nothing sweeter in this world. There is nothing sweeter that God could ever bless us with than to bring somebody to the feet of Jesus and then to establish relationship with them. Right now, in this room, each person in this room, would you put a name on our brains? Who has been seeking and needs to find what God has for them? Would you bring it to our minds right now, God, and would you embolden us to do something about it? Because God, you want to work, and you're going to work regardless, but God, you, you will and you pleasure in working through each of us, and I want it for everyone in here, Father. We love you. We praise you. Everything, all the glory goes to you because of it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, next, I'm just going to slow us down and just lead us in a time of reflection and communion. So if I can get some helpers to just pass that out and everyone will take that after I speak in their own time with the Lord. Um, but one of the benefits of being married to the person giving the message is that I get a sneak peek of it at my dining table. And by sneak peek, I mean he gave the whole sermon to me at the dining table last night. And it was awesome. Uh, but what was so sweet is that the Holy Spirit started to work in my heart. And he just caught me at one part of his message. And I just kept going back to that in my own life. And I was like, man, I think I, he's giving me a word for some people out there. And where I got stuck on is that knocking part at the door. And he brought me just this picture. Who's seen Frozen? Has anyone seen Frozen in here? If you have kids, I'm sure you've seen Frozen like way too many times. But um, he brought me that image. You remember when Anna, the little sister, is knocking on Elsa's door? And she starts as a little kid. And it's like this childlike faith. And she's like knocking. She's like, Elsa? You know, Elsa, like, let's go build a snowman. Like, come on, I'm so excited. And it just shows her life, like, as she's getting older and she still has that, like, faith. And she's like, Elsa, come on. And Elsa's, like, in her room and she doesn't answer the door. Um, and then it brings it, like, to Anna when she's older. And she, like, goes up to the door and she's about to knock and she, like, stops. And she doesn't knock. And I just, like, saw that image and I felt like I've been there. And I feel like so many of you guys are there, too, sometimes. And it's like, man, I'm scared to knock. I'm scared to knock at that door because I'm scared that no one's going to be there. I'm scared that God's not going to answer that door for me. And it's, it's just led me like in this season of waiting, you know, for my purpose. I've been knocking for the same thing. I've been knocking and knocking and knocking for three years. And I've been like, God, where are you? Like, 
God, I want to be a mom on this side of heaven. Like, God, where are you? Do you see my pain, Lord? Like, and I know some of you guys struggle with things like, God, I'm not in the job I want. Like, God, like there's all these things that are sitting on your shoulders. They're like, God, I've been waiting for my person, you know, and I haven't seen him. And I'm scared to come to you because I'm scared that you won't be there. I'm scared of what you're going to give me. I'm scared that it's not going to be good. (laughs) You know, we have that fear that's sitting in our hearts. And you know what God told me? He said, I'm not Elsa. (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. You're not Elsa. Wow, like that's so great. Um, But no, I just felt like the Lord, like I just saw this picture. Um, My door's a little different than Dalton's. It's not like floating in space. It's like, like my Jesus is like in a seaside cottage and it's really cozy. And he just gave me this image of like, when I knock on that door, sometimes it's not a thing that he's giving me instead. Sometimes, you know what, and this is for all of us, what he's given you is his hand. And what he's giving me, when I choose to accept his hand, when I choose to reach out, because it's always there, he's always answering that door. When I hold his hand, I instantly have peace in my situation. I instantly have the joy of abundant life that is always there. He gives me just so much like, just freedom when I grab his hand. And you know what he does next? He pulls us in. He pulls us through that door and he says, daughter, come here. Daughter, let me embrace you. And so as we're taking communion today, I just feel like some of you guys are so timid and you're so scared um, to knock on that door. And that's okay, I've been there. I've been walking through that even now. But the Lord says, will you come knock on that door with me? Um, The reason we have purpose is because Jesus died on the cross for us. It's because Jesus, this is the truth we can stand on. He says, perfect love casts out all fear. So when you're going up to that door and you say, I'm scared, God. I'm scared of what you're going to hand me, you know. Um, His perfect love will cast out that fear. And your purpose is that you get to commune with the Father every single day until we get to heaven and then we'll commune with him forever and hopefully in a seaside cottage. Like that would be so cool. But I just like want to remind your guys the spirits of that. Um, So the worship band is just gonna lead us in a time of intimacy with the Lord. And so I want you guys to come up on either side um, and just take communion at your own pace. And maybe this is the first time when you're sitting in your seats and you can just knock on that door and receive Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.